Welcome to RGM. Are you in a band? Come and join us. Simply click on the RGM submission page, submit your music, and we'll sort the rest. Be a part of it with Scott's Menswear, the go-to destination for sports fashion. With a reputation spanning over 30 years, Scott's has a mega brand catalogue featuring Adidas Originals, Nike, Fred Perry, Pretty Green, and many more. Here at RGM, we love the support that they offer us and the music-loving community around us. Check them out at scottsmenswear.com. Good afternoon. What am I talking about? First thing I said, and it's completely wrong. Morning. I've got that cold thing you can probably tell by my voice a little bit. Had it all week. Battling through. A dose of the man flu. Nothing worse, of course. Hope you're feeling okay, though. And having a good week. Welcome to Monday. Brand new episode of the RGM Experience Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Big thank you again for everybody for sharing the podcast from last week. It seemed to have travelled around the internet quite a bit, which is nice. Yeah, the thanks to the guests, Nova Story, for joining us last week. Great insight to being a musician and doing everything possible you can to to get shit done. Yeah, so today we've got another great guest. Billy Bibby from the band Hague. Formerly of Catfish and the Bottleman. We delve into that a little bit. Find out what happened at the end and his relationship with the band. Seems all healthy. Yeah, great insight on the... Uh, uh, this podcast's all about insight, innit, you know? Behind the scenes. Finding out what the what reality's like. Just first-hand experiences of this music industry that we that we love. Yeah, so uh, welcome to another episode. Billy Bibby's coming up shortly. You will have noticed on Twitter at RGM Pod that we announce everything first there. So if you want to follow us there, that'd be ace. Thank you. Yeah. We're really trying to find new pockets of and engage with fans. The only way to do it is work hard, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not with it today. I'm, I'm, I'm out of it. I don't feel in sync with the world. Man flu. <laughs> Bear with me. <laughs> I'll just not do much talking this week. It's fine. It's all about the guest anyway. Yeah, so great insight into Billy Bibby. Formerly of Catfish in the Bottle, man. Insights into the band. Behind the scenes. What they're doing now. Ladies and gentlemen... Let's take it away. It's Billy Bibby. So yeah, welcome to a brand new RGM podcast. Welcome to a new week of music and conversations here on the RGM Experience podcast. And today's guest is none other than Billy Bibby. Hi, mate. Hi, mate. Hello. 
How are you doing, Yoni? Yeah, all good, mate. All good. Yeah, brilliant. Well, last time I saw you, I was really drunk at tram lines in real life. Um, right. <laughs> I, I keep only seeing you out and about, mate. When I've when I've had a skinful, so I hope you get a better experience than me today, because I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with it. To be honest, I, I think I, I think we'd all had a few by that point as well. So we were, uh, we don't remember much of that night. <laughs> fill it, fill it. Good, yeah, so good. thanks for joining us on this podcast. Um, you know, just looking back on previous guests, we like to find out, you know, get to the nitty gritty of why you've become this artist and you've and you've traveled this path in music. It's a fascinating conversation to have with anybody, and particularly you. You've had such a you know such a such a great story, and you've got you know loads of experiences to share with us all. But how did a young Billy Bibby in school? How did you first start to realize that you know music was for you, and you were and you and you got drawn towards this industry called the music industry um well I, st- I started playing guitar when i was about 10 mm. um but i'd always i'd always even from from growing up from a young age uh, my dad loved music and got me into like he was into all 60 stuff so getting he got me into he was a massive elvis fan like uh, yeah. so I've, I've been a big elvis fan from growing up and listening to like even like hank marvin that was my first guitar yeah. inspiration Sure. Uh, so that's why I still use like a Fender Stratocaster to, the, to this day, like because of that, really. Yeah. Um, so I started off listening to older music, really. I didn't even understand mm-hmm. my kind of, you know, era, which was the 90s growing up. Um, and, and I didn't get into like pe- people like Oasis till later on, really. Yeah. Um, so, so for me, it was all about the 60s and 70s and that, and that kind of music. And then, um, like I said, I learned guitar properly when I was about 10. Um, and then was that just begging your parents for lessons, or or just to, to get yeah, your first just, instrument? Yeah, just just I just I'd always I'd always had a guitar in the house, but I never knew how to play it as a kid. So I thought, well, let's get some lessons when I started. Um, just before I started secondary school, yeah. um, and then just just had it. I only had a few lessons, really, a handful of lessons, and and kind of just tried to pick it up myself, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more about sort of just learning by ear, really, and, and learning, you know, little, I wasn't too bothered about learning the ins and outs, just learning how, what things sort of made me feel good when I was playing guitar, do you know what I mean? Not not yeah. too much about the technical side of it, just kind of the songwriting and the building up of something, you know, kind of original. So that was that was the route I kind of went down. And um, and then it wasn't it wasn't for a good few years then after that that, that I picked up the guitar properly again and, and got in like in fairly serious with um like obviously van mccann and mm-hmm. and, and ben blakeway that started uh catfish and a bottle man um which was around like six form time so i was about 17 yeah. um and van was two years younger than me so he was 15 so he was only he was only really really young at the time but we were getting into we were starting touring and getting into clubs and venues and stuff whilst he was like 15. So, uh, so he started really, really young age for us, really. Um, so yeah, but I mean, I was, I was into sports for most of it. And then, you know, I was into my football and playing that and I wanted to be a footballer and that. And then I knew, obviously I couldn't do that. <laughs> so, um, that's, that's, that's when the band sort of, you know, took off. And yeah. I realized that was, I re- that was when I realized that was my passion um then you know i love i love a lot of other things but i knew that music was going to be the one that stuck with me uh really so you you so you little billy baby 10 years old seeing this instrument in corner room decided to start playing it 
How 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 did you take to it? Did it did it come naturally to you to uh, to play? Um, yeah, without sounding big headed, I think it did, but not like mm. I don't think I'm a great guitarist by any means. I just think I've got a, a decent ear for it, so that yeah. I, I kind of just picked it up quite quickly. Um, the two lads that I was doing lessons with in school, they'd be doing lessons for three years, and I was better than them after about a month. So mm. um, I kind of knew that I was, you know, above average. Yeah, <laughs> but. Um, I've not got any better since, like, but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah. So I, I just, I just knew that that was kind of going to be what one of the paths I was going to, going to sort of choose uh, as I got a little bit older. Then, yeah. And what, what was it like in 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 school before you met the lads and things started to take off? We, we, was there any other vibes around musicians around you at ten year old, eleven, twelve year old, or was you know Billy the one that was known as you know? this person um, that's going to be a guitarist one day well well yeah i mean i remember doing i remember doing um we had to do like a music exam mm. and everyone had to go in the middle of the classroom and play a piece of either whatever they learned either singing or guitar or whatever and that was my first thing i'd done in front of anyone mm. and i got like 20 out of 20 for doing it i played i played pretty woman by roy, roy Orbison. Oh, okay and um you know, did the intro bit, the do 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 and then did all that, and then played the song the whole way through the chords. And I was only like what eleven then, um, so I think that was the first kind of thing where you kind, of, you know, everyone was like, "Wow, um, he's, he's not bad for a, for a young lad." Um, and then, but then to be fair, like for a few years, then like I said, I got into football and I was more into sports and that. Yeah. So. The, the guitar took a back burner for a good few years until, like, like I said, till mm. till I met up with with Van McCann properly and, and Ben um, in school. And Ben was in my year in in school. That was that was when we kind of thought, well, we can get a band together here. When when, um, you, when, we, when you're in school, two years is a massive difference between like years and yeah. stuff. When you're looking back at school, isn't it? So how did you and Ben find this younger kid, Van? How, how did you how how did you figure out that you know something could yeah. a relationship could start there? He, he Van Van's uh, best friends with my brother. He was in school, oh, so okay. he, my brother was in the same year. So mm. he just came up to me and he was always like, um, "You're good on guitar, aren't you? Can you teach me how to play <laughs> guitar? Because I want to be in a band and all this." So mm. he'd come he'd come round to our house all the time because obviously he's mates with my best uh, with my brother. So. Mm. Um, he'd come round. I'd start teaching him the, the basic chords and that, and I, I was teaching Ben at the time because Ben didn't know how to play. Yeah. Um, so it just started off. It was you know like like any band. It started off innocently, naive, um, literally just just trying to play covers between each other and mm. and you know Van had a good voice. Um, so and I, I you know I've got a decent voice. So we were singing between us, mm. um, and then yeah, eventually just started writing original stuff, um, but. You know, even that was 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 as most people, it's a bit crap at first, but that's how you learn, isn't it? So, yeah. Um, yeah, but that's that's kind of how it started, and then it was just like, where can we do our first gig? You know, and then then it was like the the, the pub the pub up the road, so we'd um, get booked in there for like they, they had like a summer festival thing on, yeah. and we we just do covers and stuff like that, and. I throw a couple of original ones in that we'd wrote, but it was uh, yeah, it just started off like that really, as yeah. as, as most bands yeah. do, I suppose, at that age. Um, was, were there nothing, any nothing... were there any other bands around you that you looked up to, or 
that that have, that have progressed to this day, or you know, a few bands that you know that you looked up to that aren't really doing it now, but at the time were showing promise, and they might be doing like gigs in London or you know in other towns, any anything like yeah, that. Well, the first band that the first band that we went to go and watch, and, and Van was too young to get in, really, but he he blagged his way in. It was in Chester, mm. um, and it was with it, it was to watch a band called The Time, mm. and uh, and they they were like they're probably about ten years older than us, so they were coming up to like thirty, like thirty odd something mm. like that. What by the time we watched them, um, and they were playing at Alexander's in Chester. And um, we'd made the trip down there like as young, like teenagers, and we were all excited to watch them and mm-hmm. thought they were like massive stars and that, yeah. even though they were only playing to like 100 people. <laughs> and um, yeah, we, we just, it was like, um, it was one of the teachers actually, our PE teacher in our school was mates with them. Right. And he said, listen to these, listen to this band. So we were listening to them. And like I said, we thought they were like celebrities at, the, yeah. <laughs> at our age and stuff, but they were only playing to like, 200 300 caps but play, going down london playing london mm. doing you know doing the, the the circuit um so we we met up with him and that was when like the drummer ben taylor said to us you know we'll get you on a gig like so that was our first proper gig when we supported them mm. and they were my our first heroes like you know what i mean because they're a good they're a decent solid band like yeah. um still listen to their tunes today like but they split up a couple of years after that um so yeah bands like that um really were our biggest inspiration at the at the time really and then obviously like 2007 2008 and stuff like that the the indie scene was 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 big so Mm. we're listening to bands like the enemy and that that have obviously come back recently with a tour announcement but yeah that bands like that were massive for us and they keep keep retiring don't they and coming back They, they can't let it go them can they no, no, they can't. No, um, I mean, I, 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 that first album for me was amazing. Like, yeah. so I, I, I love that, and I still, still listen to that to to, to this day. Like, but um, you know, if if you've got that passion for it, you know, it's just it is what it is. You've got you've got to keep doing it, haven't you? I suppose you can't get away from it. You can't. Um, and, and the reason why I've end up starting a magazine is because I can't let music go. Mm, after being mm. in a band and everybody else got boring and started having kids and couldn't commit to it anymore i needed something else to do and i ended up naturally creating this i'd never set up off to start a magazine but you're right you know just organically this thing's i started interviewing people at gigs needed a website it became rgm and i've just cracked on with it and it's just it it, you you can't leave you can't let it go can you music it's it's always going to be i know it's always going to be with me it looks like it's always going to be with you yeah, yeah, definitely. I, 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 yeah, I've always said like people say you're still going to keep doing it like and that even you know even though you're still trying to get you know to the top or whatever. Yeah. But um, as long as long as I'm enjoying it, that's all I say. As long mm. as I'm enjoying it, if I don't enjoy it anymore and I, and I want to do something else, I'll do something else. But mm. the money's the money's never um, you know been a, a factor for me. It's not about the money. It's just yeah. about being able to play in front of people and 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 you know most musicians will tell you like when they come off when they or when they're on stage mm. and they're seeing people enjoy themselves that's the best yeah that's the best buzz you can ever get from from seeing people enjoy themselves it's better than anything mm. um any drug any alcohol sex whatever it's better than all of that you know it's it's the best uh best feeling in the world to, yeah. to play in front of people and, and, and get that buzz yeah. so yeah even if you're playing to three people <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you um, well you, you mentioned there, you, you know, you 
the band just started to form 15, 16, yeah. 17, 18 year old. Um, and you started writing your first songs. Um, did you have different band names in that, in those times or did, were yeah, you known as anything yeah, yeah. amusing that you could share with us? <laughs> yeah, well, we were initially called the prestige. That's okay. where we were initially, initially yeah. called it after, I think that film, the prestige came uh, out, <laughs> um, around that time. And then we took that name. And um, I remember, I remember one of our first gigs. It, it was at Roadhouse in, in Manchester. Mm. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's there. Not now. Now. Is it, is it yeah, Road, Roadhouse. Yeah. I think it's called. Yeah. Um, on the corner, and um, this girl was doing some drawing and stuff. So she, we we made her draw the artwork for Prestige whilst we were there at the gig, and she did that. And we kept that for a bit. Um, and then we wrote a song called called Roadhouse. Um, and and yeah, that was the only name we had before. Then Catfish, and then and then Van said, you know, oh, bit, I was on holiday when I was younger, and there was this guy called Catfish the Bottleman, um, and I really think it'd be a, a, a cool and unusual name for us. Um, so we we were all against it at first, like yeah. the rest of the band were against it. it probably, if, if it wasn't for Van, it probably wouldn't have been Catfish and the Bottleman. Yeah. Uh, it probably would have stuck with the Prestige, or or maybe I don't know something else but yeah it wouldn't have been that um, <laughs> Fair enough. so so yeah he kind of he kind of pushed it on us and we like right let's we'll let it sit for a few mm. weeks and see how we feel because it's not one of them names that hits you it hits you in terms of like the, the unusual you know sounding of it but it doesn't hit you as in like a that's that's a rock and roll band name do you know what i mean it, it kind of sounded a bit folky to us at first um don't know what it sounds like to you, like, but yeah, yeah I, I wasn't yeah. happy with it at first. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, I I know from people that worked with you in the early days, and my mate Neil Argreaves from Sheffield just tells yeah. me tells me about how hard you guys worked uh, in the early days, just trying to get the band the name of the band out there. So yeah. when so you know you started writing your own songs and that kind of stuff. What then changed for you to focus on? You know, making it happen and making it into a career and doing all the hard work stuff that people don't really see behind the scenes. How did that develop into being a thing? Um, I, I think, I think just wanting to get out there and, and gig really. I mean, um, like you said, Neil, Neil was a good. Um, he was great for us in the, in the start um, because. Sorry, just had something on my phone. Um, yeah, Neil, Neil was great at first for us especially getting into places like Sheffield mm. and big cities and that um you know we'd push the Sheffield and then we'd have someone like Neil in Manchester you know that we'd kind of mm. befriended and then same in Liverpool and, and London and that and it was just about building that contacts that them contacts and that rapport with people that you know outside of your hometown and I think what helped us because we were from such a small town yeah. in in London though in, in North Wales that it kind of it, it kind of made us just get out, do you know what I mean, and go and go to these places rather than than settle on a lot of bands these days. And it happens to a lot of Manchester bands. I think they kind of they get a good following going because Manchester's got a great music scene. Yeah. Um, and then they they kind of sit on that success of, of being a good Manchester band, and they then they go out somewhere else like London or whatever, and then they're like, well, there's only you know ten people here, yeah. but. You know, and that can kind of kill a band at times because they're used to that success of being successful in their own in their hometown. Mm. So I think for us, it was like it was good to just get out to these different places 
um, knowing that we couldn't, there was no proper venue where we were really. How um, how did you physically and, and, find? Because networking is massive, and it, and it and it yeah. comes up in pretty much in every interview that I do with people in the industry. Just how yeah. important it is to network. How, how did you find somebody in London? How did you find someone in Liverpool? How did you find somewhere in Manchester? I know we know about Neil in Sheffield. How did, how did you find Neil? Yeah. You know, did you like what kind of tips would you give people watching this that that are looking to do a similar kind of thing, get out of their own their own city? How did you yeah. how did you make that happen? Well, I think I think things have changed a little bit since when we were doing it, which was ten years ago. Um, yeah. You know, now you can kind of find you can find all the contacts you need on things like LinkedIn and you know and. Okay. Um, all the social media platforms, which can, you know, if you type in whatever mm. Sheffield promoter or something like that, you'll you'll find it on the internet. Right. Us back in the day, it was more about just getting a gig there and then going out and talking to whoever was there mm. at the gig, do you know what I mean? And, and then at that point, we'd get another gig a few months down the line and just keep, we, we'd just keep doing, keeping the cycle going and then meeting new people. And it was more a little bit more like how word of mouth kind of works back then for us, which was just, you know, whoever we met, we'd get in a conversation with and sort of befriend and, and you know, see, see what kind of role they do in, you know, or whether or they could just be a fan or whatever. Or then we'd bump into people like Neil. So it was more it was more like kind of word of mouth yeah. thing. I, the, the, this day and age, you know, I think things like just just being pretty savvy on social media and and things like LinkedIn and stuff you can search for anyone on that you know yeah. that works in 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 any industry these days so um I use that quite a bit and our manager does so yeah um but yeah like back then it was a little bit different it was more about just kind of gigging and, giving and CDs then, out were well, you busking and that kind of stuff as well and busking in the city before the gig and that kind of stuff yeah yeah, we did. When we first went over to Scotland, there's a, you know there's there's pictures floating around of us playing on the streets in Glasgow and, and Edinburgh and stuff before we had the gig that night. Um, we used to do that. We used to, um, you know, which a lot of like I think big sort of catfish fans will, will probably have heard the story. But we used to have um, a van that obviously we used to get to the gigs with, and then we'd we'd fire up the generator and we'd put these ninja masks on. <laughs> Um, so people couldn't see who we were, and we'd play like fire up the generator and plug everything in and, and play a gig outside of a venue or in the city where we were playing that day. So we do that quite a lot. Um, we did it once. We we played in Birmingham. Well, we were supposed to play in Birmingham, but they said that they got. I can't remember the story now, but we couldn't play that gig anyway. So we made the trip down to Birmingham couldn't play the gig for whatever reason they wouldn't let us they wouldn't let us play so we just fired up the generator outside the venue <laughs> and played played outside um, whilst the gig was going on <laughs> so everyone that was coming out having a fag break we, we were like it were these lot outside the <laughs> venue they're playing so yeah so that things that. like that um and then like outside the Kasabian gig um in I think Manchester I think that was and we did that as everyone was coming out from the Kasabian gig we started playing um and then it started pissing it down so um we got all our equipment ruined but it's worth it we've still got we've still had fans to this to this day that, yeah. that came and, and watched that from that cassette coming out of that Kasabian gig so um I've picked up people when uh when when I've been in gigs and this Pete and this band's outside handing out the CDs that does mm. that that's a that's a massive an easy thing to do for a band to do to try and find new fans because you're because you're giving your yeah. music to music loving people 
So they're already yeah. kind of yeah. your audience. They might not be, yeah. you know, they might not end up being a fan for life, but they might, they'll probably give your CD a listen. And if they like you, there's a chance that they might go and see you live again. So yeah, I'm surprised yeah. I don't see more of that. Yeah, well, if you throw enough mud, mud some sticks, you yeah. know what I mean? And, and it's like, we, we I, st- I still do it now. We've, we've got the venue, mm. uh, venue Cymru, which is like, you know, we've, Stereophonics are playing there in a couple of weeks. Paul Weller's playing there this Friday, I think, which is like a 2000 cap place. So what we used to do is, because we were obviously local to that venue, um, was just go into the car park and put CDs in in, the, in all the cars that were mm. there in the car park. Um, and I, I still do that now. I, I get beer mats printed with Hagar. And I still, when I, yeah. whenever I know there's a big band on, I'll go round whilst the gig's on and put beer mats in every yeah. window wiper. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> And it, and it and it works like yeah. you get people saying I've just had a just had a beer mat or a CD from from you know th- these lot and they'll post it on the <laughs> socials, won't they? Yeah, it's so, free promotion. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and I've like I've put a QR code on the beer mat now, so it's it can't get any easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. So, so yeah, little tips like that. I think bands should be doing more of. I think you don't see enough of that. Really. No, you, you 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 definitely don't, and that's great tips because. This podcast is all about sharing experiences and yeah. and and trying to help yeah. these poor bastards out there that are trying to make an <laughs> trying to make a living yeah. in music because it's 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 the toughest industry in the world. Uh, mm. You're never going to get anything handed to you, um, but it yeah. happened it happened to you in Catfish. So so what ha- when what was the first time when you looked at each other and thought it's happening? Um. I don't think you, there's ever a moment when you look at each other and think that because you because because um, you're working so hard. We like we were in the practice room every day, like yeah. um, and um, gigging all the time, like the const, constant gigging. Um, and they they seem to have carried that work ethos on even since I left. Like yeah. they, you know, they've never really stopped touring. Um, but um, I, I don't think there's ever a moment when when you've kind of feel like you're doing well and, and things are progressing it's more like a progression thing and it just yeah. builds up and you like well, we've sold we've sold out you know a few hundred cap and then you go on to the next level and it just builds up progress yeah. it progressed slowly with us i mean th- it might happen to some bands like you know some some top like sensations that kind of just go from doing no gigs to going yeah huge if they get signed to a massive record label but for us it was like we we did every stepping stone possible mm. um you know, from the smallest venues and, and, and playing covers and stuff to them doing our own stuff and then building up and then got to a point where we had a small label in communion on, on board. So that wasn't a big record deal, but mm. it was, it was you know, they're, they're quite quite well-renowned label now, communion. Yeah. And um, and then from there, it went to Island Records. So it, it, it took every stepping stone. Yeah. So it was never like one moment where you thought, you just, you just knew, you just could feel it happening. You know what I mean? You just the pro, the progress of it all more than anything. What, what's playing the festivals um, an indicator for you? You know, like getting getting on the uh, playing the bigger stage where you were as a band at the time. So if you're playing like I don't know a five hundred, yeah. six hundred cap venue, yeah. and then you're playing a, a, a festival that's maybe ten thousand people out there. Yeah, it, it, are those kind yeah. of moments the time when you think? Well, yeah, having said having having you saying that has just sparked a memory of like, yeah, there mm. was there was one moment in terms of playing a gig where you kind of uh, went from feeling like not many people knew you to like, what's going on here? Was it was when we played Tea in the Park, mm. um, 
and we played in the we played in the in the biggest tent. I can't remember what the tent was called, but we played in this tent and and everyone was we were like one of the first bands on and everyone was coming to watch us and, and then when we stepped out on stage it was a massive roar. Everyone was singing singing the songs that we just hmm. released and were like yeah. getting played on Radio One and stuff. So that that was I think that was probably the moment there. I remember coming off stage and thinking, wow, you know, that's yeah. that's special. Do you know what I mean? And the Scottish crowds have always been like the, the best crowds for me. Yeah. Um, they they just look they're just mad for the music and that. And that that was probably the, that was probably the moment. Yeah, Tina Park. Yeah. So um, you know, not with the band anymore. How how do you look back on Catfish now and reflect on the experience and and moving on into your solo stuff? Um, just, just as I, I don't look, I don't really look back on it to yeah. be honest. You've got, to, I'll try and look forward to be honest. Mm. Um, you know, every, I, I, st- I still, um, acknowledge catfish every time. Mm. I still do little posts now and again about catfish on social media, whether you know whether it's an anniversary of, mm. of the balcony and stuff or whatever. Because I'm, you know, that I was a part of that and it was a massive part of my life. Mm. So I still look back on it with with great memories and stuff. I don't. Um, regret anything that's happened or, or, or anything like that so it's all it's all good but I just obviously try and look forward with, with my band now and yeah. um and that's that's all I can do really it's it's what uh what I'm enjoying yeah. the most so yeah I can remember seeing you back in Sheffield again when you, you played at first solo at all Billy Bibby's playing the Frog and Parrot again in Sheffield I love the Frog and Parrot yeah. I, keep, I keep talking about yeah. it but it's where it's where yeah. I've put gigs on for years and where I first started yeah. putting bands on and yeah. just you know doing well, just putting bands on. I don't know how else to describe yeah. it. Uh, yeah. So, so the, the solo experience, and then Haig, and that. So, how how was the how, how was the journey? How, how did it feel going from the you know the big festival slots to kind well, of like starting again a little bit? Yeah, well, I think it got. To, you know, I, I've said this. I've said it before, but I think the 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 best bit really for me was not was 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 when I left the band mm. and what we weren't at like massive you know massive arena stages or, right. or even big sort of venues really at that yeah. point i think we just about sold out the ritz and places like that okay. and um and i think i think maybe the, the o2 academy at sheffield mm. but, but but i didn't actually i hadn't actually played those gigs yet mm. um so for me it was like it wasn't coming down too too much yeah i, I i'd done six years of all that playing those venues and um and I, and I knew that I could do it again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because because I hadn't gone to that sort of them extremes of, of of levels. It might have been a bit more difficult if we'd been playing arenas for a few years. Yeah. And then I came back down to that. But yeah. um, I'm not I'm not a proud I'm not a proud person. Like really, I just I just I just enjoy what I do, mm. and, it, and it doesn't. Uh, you know, I'm not one of those girls. I'm too big for anything. You know, I'm not. It's it's you know you you if you're starting again, you're starting again. You've got to you've got to just, just get your roll your sleeves up and get stuck in, um, and that's that's what I wanted to do straight away. So I did I did my solo stuff first because, you know, obviously I was lead guitarist in Catfish, so yeah. I wanted to learn how to become a frontman. Mm. Um, so I wrote some. Did you go to frontman school? Hey, did you go to frontman school? <laughs> no, yeah, well, yeah, well, kind of. No, I still think of myself as more of a guitarist frontman. I don't yeah. like. Like oh, my my band my band now they say you're not a front you're not a proper frontman because you're not an <laughs> arsehole. All <laughs> oh, right, okay, fair enough. So, so I'll take I'll take that compliment. But um, <laughs> yeah, so no, I, I, 
I just want, I wanted to learn how to sort of interact with the people. Like Van was very yeah. good at doing that uh, and, and learn how to kind of, it. as much as I don't think, I don't class myself as a front man, I don't think I come across as being shy. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So that was the, the main thing for me was not coming across as looking like I don't, I shouldn't be there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, just getting myself comfortable and accustomed to talking to people on stage and, and, and looking confident, do you know what I mean, whilst I play the songs. So that was that was the main thing for me. The the year after leaving Catfish was getting my, my confidence up yeah. doing that, and then we started the Rye Smiles, Billy Bibby and the Rye mm. Smiles band, which was a great few years. Like loved loved doing that. We played a lot of good festivals. Did you did you did know a as a soloist that you that you know you're destined to be back with more people around you? Did did you was that just something you were aware yeah. of at the time? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think because. Uh, I did enjoy being on my own because you've got you I had my brother with me as tour manager and stuff, so we were going around together and that and it was great. But yeah, when you when you've got that you can look to your left and look to your right and you've got those lads like playing with yeah. you on the same stage. There's I there's no better feeling than that. And I, I don't think I could ever really be a solo artist. Um so I mean that's I took the bit of it being the right smiles because of really it was it was more like I didn't know these people that were coming in really. They were they were coming in and we'd had a few rehearsals together, mm. but I didn't want to commit to, to putting a band name behind it because if you know, we don't know a few months down the line whether something mm. might happen. So I thought if I keep Billy Bibby and the Rye Smiles, if something does happen then, you know, mm. it can it can change and not, not break the whole band up completely, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because it's different from when, when you're starting school together to when you're, you know, just meeting people for the first time and, and then getting straight into a tour with them. So it was, it was different. It was different, but the people that I did meet and that came on tour with us with the Rice Smiles, great lads, really good lads. Um, and yeah, just had a great laugh, like, um, for a few years doing that and played some good gigs. So any of those people in Hague now or? Is no, no, no. They they kind of went off and did their own thing, like their own jobs and that. Mm. Um, obviously, you know the the money's the money in it is not is not great at that level. So yeah. it's hard it's hard keeping a band together and that. Sure. Um, there was no there was no like fallouts or anything like that. It was just um, just a purely kind of you know professional thing for them to go off and do their own what they wanted to do with their own jobs and stuff. Yeah. If things would have taken off like properly, then 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 we would have been together but in in some ways i kind of see it as a, a bit of an apprenticeship again for myself and the band because i was i was getting back into writing songs fully myself mm. you know what i mean it was it was van kind of penning a lot of the songs and i was helping structure with the with the guitar parts and that so i was working with it with him with that but i wasn't writing the songs so for me it was learning yeah. how to do that properly again um and yeah now now with hey we know exactly what we're doing we know which direction we're going in how did, um, how did you and, how did you come across the band how did you um because I, I i know from talking to people that are soloists and they get to a certain stage when they think if i'm gonna get anywhere i need a band behind me because uh, the industry yeah. kind of demands that in a way <laughs> how, how, how did you find the people to join you in Hague and the right people as well um well i i was actually at that time you know the rice smiles had split up and i was mm. I was having a little bit of time off from it, to be honest, because it was it was a lot of like toing and froing with you know the last mm. seven or eight years or whatever it was. Peak band members leaving, 
I left catfish or whatever. It was it was a lot of yeah. a lot of things happening in that, and I thought, well, you know, let's let's just have a bit of time off and think what I actually want to do and get it right this time. Um, so, I they they Carl actually approached me, the bass player of our of our band now in Hague. Um, I'd done a solo gig for him in Blackburn Road in the Blackburn Rovers um, uh, bar because he's a, he's a Blackburn Rovers fan. Um, unlucky for him but yeah he he invited me to that and um, I played the gig for him and then he he said a few months later he was like our band have just split up New York tourists um do you want to do you want to join forces um so I said yeah I've got a guitar because my, my, my guitarist from the Rice Smiles was up for it and his drummer was up for it so we had two halves of the band there we put them together had a few rehearsals um and yeah we just knew straight away really I'm I'm originally from Aquinton, so it mm. felt like I it felt a bit full circle, um, and I felt like I knew them as soon as we got rehearsing together. I just knew it was right. Um, Carl and Joe Joe are great lads, and and yeah, and we just just went from there really. So um, we started gigging again, and that's when COVID hit. So mm. that put a dent in yeah. the the sort of um, progression for us. Because we just signed to Golden Robot Records in Australia, um, so we we had the EP plans to put that out, right. and we ended up putting that out just just after COVID, so it didn't have the impact we wanted. But um, but yeah, just just being in a band with them too, you can tell like it's it, it's great. I've been in you know some great people. I had some great people in bands yeah. before, but you just when you just know and you just connect and, and click with with two of the lads like. Um, because we're, we're a three-piece now, which is I find a little bit easier than four. Yeah. Um, Just easier to any, get the any, same people in the same place. Yeah. With less, yeah, I suppose, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, we, we're working with, like, a backing track thing now as well, just to give us a little bit more meat behind the tracks. Mm. Um, so he's he's our fourth member. But, um, yeah, the just just the three of us we just we just work we just work really well together so um soon as soon as we could get out of the covid restrictions and gig yeah. again we got we got straight on it and we've done quite a few gigs since now um some yeah. good some good ones as well so yeah so looking forward to now now to the future and um hopefully get an album out next year oh okay that's that's, the plan, that, yeah. that's what i'm going to ask you what what yeah are you allowed to say about what i hear up to next year what what's what is, is there anything you can share with us that yeah. you're allowed to say? Yeah, we, we, we're just we're just looking to try and um, just get as many gigs as we can. Get a tour booked mm. in for March and April, hopefully, um, and and just get on the road for a good few weeks, and then then look to release a few singles later on after that. And probably this time next year, I would have thought hopefully we get the album out. Mm. So um, we're working on that now. We've uh, we've already done. Uh, one track with with a producer that we're hoping to work that work um, the album with, yeah. and he's 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 top. He's a top producer, like um, so. Yeah, we, we've done that. It's, that's sounding great so far. So hope, hopefully, fingers crossed. If, if nothing else happens in this world, crazy world, we'll be uh, touching all the wood. We'll be releasing the album next year. <laughs> touch all the wood you can. <laughs> oh, Billy! Thanks, Billy. Yeah, you enjoy that. It'll delve into his little world there. We've had a great week of recording guests this week. 
and I'm going to leave you in suspense a little bit. But they're belters. 18 weeks in a row now. We're going right up to Christmas. Join us for the ride. You can watch the video version of the podcast on the RGM YouTube channel. The link's in the description. Check out Haig as well. Um, Billy Bibby's band. Yeah, thanks Billy for joining us again. It's been another week of hectic. I thought things would have calmed down by now coming up to Christmas, but it's getting hectic. Which is nice. Keeps me out of trouble. Yeah, so uh, we'll join you again next week, ladies and gentlemen, for another guest. I've got three in the bag, and I don't know what to put on next week, so I'm going to have a think about it. Pop onto Twitter at RGM Pod, um, and you will be... <laughs> I can't fucking speak. You will see who it is next week. I've got the flu, guys. I'm not... I'm not... I'm That's all, folks. I'm not at my best. I've worked hard this week. And I've got man flu. Leave me alone. Only joking. We'll see you next week, guys. I've been Carl Maloney, the host of this podcast. Thanks for joining us. And thanks to everybody for engaging and sharing the podcast. We'll see you again this time next week. Toodle-oo. Welcome to RGM. Are you in a band? Come and join us. Simply click on the RGM submission page, submit your music, and we'll sort the rest. Be a part of it with Scott's Menswear, the go-to destination for sports fashion. With a reputation spanning over 30 years, Scott's has a mega brand catalogue featuring Adidas Originals, Nike, Fred Perry, Pretty Green, and many more. Here at RGM, we love the support that they offer us and the music-loving community around us. Check them out at scotsmenswear.com. Hello. Did you know that you can support our podcast in many ways? Within the description of this podcast, you will see a list of all the equipment that we use. These are Amazon affiliate links. Clicking on these links take you to Amazon. If you buy whatever you're planning that week, we get a small kickback and you get a parcel at no extra cost. We would really appreciate your support. Or you can just go old school and donate a pound or whatever you feel is appropriate in there. Please subscribe. Tell a friend about our show. And thank you for your support. And we'll see you next week.